What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And in this episode, get ready for an epic adventure across the galaxy with Cal Kestis and crew in my review of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. child when they sent you off to war. Now look at you. The weight of a galaxy on your shoulders. Didn't I tell you to be more careful about who you scan? Come on. I cannot tell you who you must become, or where the line is drawn. There are no easy choices. These are dark times. We have few allies. Good to see you, Gal. The odds are against us. And they will always be against us. Before we jump into the details of this game's story, let's take a few minutes to talk about some details that you may not have known about the game or its developer in The Breakdown. If you've played Jedi Fallen Order or Jedi Survivor, then you would probably understand and definitely agree with one of the descriptions given to those games and their style of gameplay in the fact that they are very metroidvania obviously you have areas you can't explore initially when you come to them and you learn abilities or find items that you can come back and double back later in order to access these areas and there's environmental exploration and puzzle solving well metroidvania has kind of always been there since the first jedi fallen order but more recently respawn in an interview had said that they drew a lot of inspiration for their environmental puzzles from the legend of zelda so that's one of the last games that I would have honestly thought of as inspiration for this game because typically you think about Castlevania and Metroid and that style of gameplay. But when they said it, I was like, you know what? I definitely see it. The different solutions to the puzzles and the way you utilize the environments in those scenarios is exactly Zelda to a T. So I thought it was a very cool piece of information that Respawn not only pulled from games like Metroid and Castlevania, but also one of, if not the classic of classics of gameplay inspirational styles in The Legend of Zelda. Now let's go check out Jedi Survivor's story. <laughs> 
The story for Jedi Survivor picks up about five or six years after the ending of Fallen Order. And at the end of Fallen Order, we find out that there are a lot of other Force sensitives in the world and in the galaxy that Cal and Seer, his mentor and Jedi Master at the time, are looking to basically seek out and help them and try to rebuild the Jedi Order is, a con is basically what I got out of it. Well, flash forward to five or six years later and the beginning of Jedi Survivor, there's actually no team anymore. The team that we knew that was part of the Stinger Mantis, the ship that they used to fly all across the galaxy on those different nefarious missions in that first game, they are no more. The group of Cal Kestis and BD-1, together with Seer, Grease, the forearm pilot, the Dathomirian Night Sister of Marin. That core group is no longer together. They've disbanded when this game begins here in Jedi Survivor. And we don't know exactly why yet when the game starts out. But as the game progresses, you do eventually meet back up with all these characters. And you find out why they separated from Cal and his quest to fight the Empire. And that's kind of where we find Cal and BD-1 at the beginning of Survivor they are still fighting the Empire. They're with a new group of people. And they're just, again, trying to put a dent into that iron fist that is the Empire. Well, there's also a new character that has become kind of like a best friend to Cal. And his name is Bode. And he is one of my favorite additions to the characters in this storyline that started in Fallen Order. And I just think he's a great addition. He's a great character. He's acted very well. And just uh, you can just tell that there is a lot of genuineness in this character. Boat is very much about protecting his daughter. He's doing these different things to try to find and make and carve out a better place for his daughter and a safe place for his daughter in the galaxy. Well, without going into the details of what exactly all happens, let's just say that Cal, BD-1, and Bode, who Grease has retired, and he's left the Stinger Mantis ship to Cal. So Cal still has the ship. Let's just say that things happen to where the ship needs to be repaired. So Cal feels like the only being that can repair the Mantis best is Grease. And he was last known to be on the planet of Kobo. So Cal, Beatty, and Bode set out for Kobo and meet back up with Grease. And let's just say there is a kind of a snowball effect of things that happen that allow those characters from that first game to kind of regroup. Seer and Marin, Cal and Bode and Grease meet back up with them on the planet of Jeddah. We find that Seer has been up to basically trying to help these Anchorites, which is a group of Force worshippers that were hiding out basically on this planet of Jeddah. And there's just a lot going on in the background. And what really ties a lot of this stuff together is the High Republic era of Star Wars lore, which is the newest era that's been breached in Star Wars. And I love the fact that we got to see the expansion of that lore in this game and in this medium, because before this game, we've only ever seen any kind of mention or discussion or information about the High Republic in novels and comics. So to see it presented in this way was just awesome to me. And I thought it really made for a unique story and something that really helped set Jedi Survivor's story and characters and, and settings apart from 
what a lot of Star Wars has been for the past 40 plus years. Now, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, so that stuff doesn't bother me. But to get away from kind of like the core planets and the core systems that we typically see, I don't want to say retread over and over, but it is true. There's a lot of planets like Tatooine and Coruscant, which does show up in this game. But we see a lot of the same planets and areas and characters and, and beings and things like that. So this was an opportunity to see something brand new and see new characters and and just a, a lot of fresh faces and feelings and lore brought into Star Wars for a lot of people who don't read the comics and novels. Now, one of the antagonists in this game is a character named Dagon Gera. And Dagon Gera is from the High Republic era. And I'm not going to explain to you here how he is able to still interact with Cal and BD and the group. But let's just say that he, I thought, was a great character. It was really cool to see his backstory fleshed out and to kind of understand who he was as a character. And his partner from the High Republic era that we get a lot of, I guess I would say, flashback moments with. You get to see different Force Echoes because that's one of the Force abilities that Cal has is the ability to see things that happened in the past. So he's able to see Centauri Kree who is a really interesting character that I really enjoyed seeing her storyline play out as well in the background. And then you have the, the, the wonderful thing about this game is it's not just main characters for the main storyline either. It's just all of the worlds that you go to and the characters within those worlds, they each have their own richness to them. And NPC characters like the Kobo shop owner Doma, the bounty hunter Cage, the fish hunter Scuva Stev, all these different new characters that are brand new to this game and to Star Wars lore. I just absolutely love the additions of them. They had great backstories. They had just great personalities when you interacted with them and, and did things with them. And there is a lot of great character arcs, I felt like, and relationship arcs that took place in this game as well. With not just Cal and the characters that were part of the group of the Stinger Mantis from the first game, but also with newer characters like Bode and even just seeing the specific relationship of Cal and Marin and the progression that it took in this game. I love seeing those different small storylines play out throughout the course of the overarching storyline. And let's just say that at the end of the day, it really became a, a race to get to this planet called Tantalor, is what the ultimate objective becomes all about, is finding a way for the group, as well as the Anchorites and Seer, finding a way for everybody to get to this mythic High Republic planet of Tantalor. Because this is an ancient planet where the Jedi of the High Republic era, they kind of hid out. And the reason why is because it's kind of hidden. You have to go through this very twisty, turny, dangerous nebula in order to get on the other side of it where the planet is stationed. And in order to traverse that nebula, you have to have certain coordinates via a compass. So your quest becomes about finding the compass and using that and just getting to Tantalor is the ultimate objective here to try to find a safe haven for all those away from the empire and, and just get away where the empire could never touch any of them again. So it's a great story. It is done and written beautifully. It is acted amazingly. And just from start to finish, I mean, there was 
multiple twists in the game. I will say there is one that I saw coming, but there is one twist, man, that I was just like, wow, I did not see that coming. Bravo, Respawn. <laughs> Respawn Entertainment being the developer. I was like, man, you guys got me on that one because I did not see that coming. So just a great story, a very fun story, a very emotional story, and one I can't say enough positive things about. So now let's check out what my thoughts were on the graphics and sound. Gamers, when it comes to the visuals of the game, the first thing I'm going to start with is the character models. So character models in this game, I think, look very good. I thought they were very well detailed, especially when you zoom in on the different clothing and lightsabers, pieces, and just all the different intricacies of a character model when you're in photo mode. That's when you can really, really see the details and tell that there is a lot of time put into these character models. And even just when you're running around in the world and you have NPCs that you run into in the cantina or the enemies that you run across, whether it's the stormtroopers or animal or wildlife enemies that you fight, I mean, they're all very well detailed and look great just in general exploring the world. I will say, for whatever reason, it almost seemed like the visuals of these character models took a step backwards when it came to cutscenes. That I was kind of thrown off by. I don't really know what was happening there. But either way, it wasn't a game breaker. It was just a noticeable difference, in my opinion. Now, when we talk about environments, I got to tell you, the environments in this game are absolutely gorgeous. So there are a few major locations and planets that you're going to go to in this game. There's not as many as there were in the first game, Fallen Order, but I'm fine with that because there's more content and more depth to the planets, in my opinion, in this game than there were in the more quantity of planets in the last game. So again, not to take anything away from Fallen Order's planets, but Kobo, Jeddah, Coruscant, a few others, Man, there is just a ton, especially in Kobo. Kobo is a massive planet. You have areas that you're going to explore that are way high up in the sky, areas that are deep underground and a ton of space to cover on the ground level. So when you're exploring these areas, I mean, you got every wide range of type of visual you could think of. There's these beautiful springs that you come across and rivers and there's geysers blowing steam and lava in certain areas and mountainscapes and massive creatures that you're going to come across and just the the beautiful structures on Jeddah that is a pretty much a desert planet but it's these ancient temples that are kind of half buried in the desert and then the temples themselves once you do get inside of them the interior environments oh man talk about the interior environments I got to talk about the cantina the cantina is so so well detailed with just tiny little things little nuances that just really accentuate the experience and just draw you in and make you feel like you're actually there. Like you can smell what's cooking in the kitchen, in the canteen, or smell the sweat of the patrons that are all around you. Because as the game progresses, the, the cantina kind of fills up more and more with more people. And, ah, man, it was just, it was extremely well detailed and thought out. And I just, I loved it. So when it comes to character models and environments, I mean, just absolutely awesome job by Respawn. I will say... The negative things that I have to say about visuals and the game, unfortunately, there is a lot of pop in and the experience that I had. Now, I will say for some 
just perspective, I was playing the PS5 version of the game. So anybody who played on Xbox or PC, maybe it had a different experience than I did. But there was a lot of pop-in, whether it was the distance, uh, different mountainscapes or whatnot would pop in, or even right in front of me sometimes, I would come up to a, a mountainside and you could just tell the textures had not fully loaded yet as I was already there. And I would stand there, maybe a few seconds would go by and they'd finally pop in and the textures would be in place. But we had some, some serious pop-in. That happened from the beginning all the way through the entirety of the game. In addition to pop-in, we did have some screen tearing where if you don't know what that is, basically I would go into a certain area or maybe I would you know pan the camera around and you could see this silhouette of lights on the edge of the TV screen and it would kind of not go with the actual game, what's going on on screen. So it was kind of like tearing apart what's happening on screen with what's, I guess, in a computer in a computer sense, a software sense, what's happening behind the images that we see as we're playing the game. So there was screen tearing that I dealt with. There were many times, multiple times, it wasn't more than five, because I can count on one hand the amount of times the game actually froze on me. But the game did freeze a few times. There was some frame rate dippage. Obviously, this happened a lot of times during combat, but it also happened in platforming sequences. So ah, there was just a lot of different little issues that, that when it came to the visuals, uh, unfortunately, there there was just maybe some more time needed to kind of iron these things out. And I know they've had a ton of patches since the game released, but visually that was how I felt when I experienced the game. Overall, everything looked great. It was just in execution. There were multiple instances throughout of all these different things that I just referenced. Now, when it comes to sound, I got to tell you, I'll start with the voice acting and the voice acting is top notch. It, you know, it's one of those games where, and I think most games nowadays, I feel like are getting to that point where, Every game has high caliber voice acting talent. And obviously we already knew a lot of the voice actors from the first game. They're returning for this game, but even the new characters, I mean, they're, they're all really, really well done. Even NPCs were given some TLC to make sure that they blended well with the main characters. So every character, just it, the voices are very well acted. The music in the game, I mean, you can't have something that's Star Wars and has that Star Wars logo and, and label on it and not have solid music. I mean, that's one of the most iconic pieces of Star Wars is its music. And that's no different with Jedi Survivor. There was great music in the first game and a certain reoccurring theme that they played throughout. It's kind of, I guess I would say it's probably Cal's theme. And that theme returns in this game, and the same thing, it's kind of interlaced with different melodies throughout the course of the game, depending on the scenarios that you're in. And I absolutely love that theme. It's one of my favorite Star Wars themes at this point, and I just, it's a very emotional theme, and I love the way that the composers just kind of integrate that theme throughout different scenarios in the game. But even outside of that specific theme, music in general is just really well done. It's an orchestral score, even when you're just kind of exploring planets, there's just this nice, simple, kind of quiet, melodic in the background kind of music going on. 
both on Jeddah and Kobo, as well as the other locations that you'll explore throughout the course of the game. Obviously, the intensity and epicness ramps up at certain moments in the game. There is one moment on Jeddah that I had actually in my Captain's Quarters episode the one week caught out as a highlight of the week because of the epicness of it and that music that was adding to it. It was one of those moments where it just everything comes together and your heart's thumping in your chest and you're just like, yeah, it was pumping you up. So that tells you that the music was doing its job. So excellent music, excellent voice acting, basic sound effects. Again, I mean, you can't have Star Wars and not have good sound effects because blaster fire, the sounds of lightsabers hitting each other and swinging around, turning on. And I mean, just all the things you could expect as far as the high caliber sound effects from Star Wars. It's there. It's great. And even the flora and fauna, the different environmental sounds when you're walking around at the day night cycle in certain areas. I mean, it just it really draws you in to the experience, and there's a lot of unique sounds for some of the newer enemy types and newer creatures that you're going to find. I mean, they just did a great, great job. So overall, I, I had a great experience with the sound, but I was playing on PS5, and if you've listened to my reviews before, you'll know that if I play on PS5, I'm usually split my time evenly between wearing a 3D Pulse headset and you know listening to the sound of a soundbar, an LG 5.1 soundbar. So this next segment, I usually like to tell you guys whether or not I felt like wearing that 3D Pulse headset had a massive effect on my experience or no effect at all. So let's go find out. I'll just start by saying that I did feel that the soundbar was excellent as far as my experience taking the audio in in that way. But I got to say, there is definitely no comparison for me here. I mean, for whatever reason, as bad as this may sound about the soundbar, and I can't say anything you know, good enough about how awesome my soundbar is, but when you're looking for immersion and you are looking to feel like you are truly there within the environment that you're playing through, there's just no comparison in this game to playing wearing that 3D Pulse headset or using the soundbar. There is just so much more intricacy of, you know, just everything that you hear as you're going through an environment. The just brush of grass against Cal as he's going through that hum of a lightsaber is just right there tickling your ear, <laughs> your eardrum. I mean, it's just everything is so much better that crispness that you get when you're listening to it in the 3D Pulse headset. And then the spatial audio, that 3D spatial audio that the PS5 can do and that the 3D Pulse headset is able to also put out into your ears that way. It's just awesome being able to spatially be aware of where your sounds are coming from, whether it's enemies or crickets chirping or just something going on in the distance. You can kind of track that with your ears via the headset. And those musical scores I talked about and just conversations with other characters and I just the great sound effects, all that for me, at least, was accentuated in my experience by using that 3D Pulse headset. Every time I had that Pulse headset on, it was just that much more engaging for me and much more of an involved experience. So the question is, was wearing the 3D Pulse headset, did it have a massive effect on my experience or no effect at all? I would absolutely say there was a massive effect on my experience with Jedi Survivor wearing the 3D Pulse headset. Now let's go check out the game's controls. 
Gamers, when it comes to controlling Cal and BD1 across the galaxy, I played obviously on a PS5, so I'm going to be referencing the feel and my experience that I had using the DualSense controller. This is a third-person game, as mentioned, so you're going to be using that typical third-person control scheme where the left analog stick controls your character, the right analog stick controls the camera, and the left analog stick also doubles as the sprint option for Cal, and the right analog stick can be clicked in to lock onto enemies and combat. Now, when it comes to controlling and just basic exploration and button layout, I thought the button layout, the default settings that Respawn implements, I thought that was perfect. I didn't really see a need for myself to change any button placements. You know, X is jump, circle is dash or dodge, square is for your melee strikes with lightsaber, triangle is to use your force ability in combat, your force powers like force pull and force push and throw. All that is kind of tied to the L2 and R2 buttons. And the D-pad is where you use to heal as well as switch between your different lightsaber stances that you may have equipped at a given time. So just the way the layout and the touchpad, that also brings up your menu and your hollow map, so you can see all the details of the environment that you're in. So I thought all this was really perfect, honestly, for me and my experience. Now, the implementation of these controls in, say, world exploration. For me, the, the biggest issue I had was probably in platforming. And this game is very big on platforming, so probably the biggest aspect of platforming that bothered me the most was the wall running. Now, just like in Fallen Order, the wall running, you have to have kind of like the precise angle that you jump into the designated wall that you can even wall run on. You have to hit that like precise angle. So I get that. But then when you're wall running, there was times where I felt like I pressed the jump button to you know, go to the next wall run or jump across to the ledge that I'm trying to get to. But the animation ended of Cal wall running and it, the game did not respond or register to my button command. So that would be an issue that I'd encountered a, a few times throughout the course of the game. I will say outside of that, really, it was just in combat. It's It was very frustrating implementing certain combos and Pressing, say, the, the D-pad up to heal, and BD-1 and Cal would have to go through this animation in order to heal, and sometimes, because the combo needed to finish its animation, I would therefore not get off the animation in time to heal, and then that could result in a death, or a respawn, or just unnecessary loss of health. So there was that issue that carried over from Fallen Order for me, but outside of that, I mean... The, the button placements themselves and the actual implementation of controls didn't really have a whole lot of issues with them in this game. Now, if you want to know if there is a big difference, a dual sense difference when controlling it using that controller on the PS5 as opposed to other consoles, check out this next segment and see what my thoughts were. <laughs> Gamers, the main reason I a lot of times choose to play a multi-platform game on the PlayStation is for this DualSense experience. And when I saw that Star Wars Jedi Survivor was absolutely supposed to be taking advantage of those functionalities, which include haptic feedback and the adaptive triggers that they have, well, I could not say no to playing it on PS5. I did play Fallen Order on the Xbox, so it was kind of like a push and pull, but was that the right decision? Was there enough of a dual sense difference here for me to warrant that purchase on the PS5? Well, 
let me just kind of go into the details of what you can expect if you're playing on the DualSense or if you're looking for to make that same decision as I did. So first things first, there are some things that you can probably still get that you would be able to do on a DualShock 4 on the PS4, like the light bar, for instance. But i got to mention it since I'm mentioning specifics about the DualSense. I loved what they did with the light bar here in Jedi Survivor. They actually have it to where whatever lightsaber color you have equipped at that time is the color of the light around the light bar. So I thought that was really cool to see that change every time I change my lightsaber color because I went through just about every color that they had as an option for you. So that was really neat to see those on the light bar. Now, in addition to that, obviously the touchpad is utilized, but I don't really consider those things necessarily dual sense. I just want to speak to them specifically. Touchpad, all you really do is pull up the, the menu with that in this game. Now, when we get to the haptic feedback and the adaptive triggers, I thought they were extremely well implemented. When you're using the force, which is what I was really getting excited about, it's like, oh man, you can kind of feel the, the force and the force grab when you grab onto things and throwing with force push and all the lightsaber combat. And sure enough, yeah, 100%, that is exactly what I got out of the subtle vibrations and the adaptive triggers. The adaptive triggers, they show or, or give different tensions depending on what force ability you're using. And typically you will kind of ready cal in a way with the left trigger and then with the right trigger is what you'll use to implement whatever force power you're trying to do. Now, when you do that, like say if you're grabbing onto something or he's pulling something towards him, you can kind of feel a subtle vibration in there and a certain tension on it. When you have different lightsabers that you're using, depending on the different lightsabers you use, there is a different kind of feel and the little subtle vibrations that the dual sense does so well to kind of make you feel that vibration that you would think that you would feel at least i would you know you hear the hum all the time from the lightsaber you'd think that there is some kind of vibration going on within the hilt and i honestly feel that's kind of what they were able to implement without it being too distracting now it's not overly done but it's just little things like this that really added to the experience and made me not whatsoever question or regret my decision to purchase the game on ps5 for that dual sense experience so was there a dual sense difference Absolutely, I would say there definitely was. Now, let's go talk about the gameplay. Gamers, when it comes to the gameplay variety that you're going to encounter on your playthrough of Jedi Survivor, I mean, it's literally a melting pot. So at its base, obviously, just like Fallen Order, it is still a Metroidvania, but the team at Respawn has added so much more to what was there in Jedi Fallen Order, which is typically the case with any sequel, right? So I'm very excited to talk to you about a lot of the new things they've added and my opinions on them. At its base, though, this game is you know an action RPG, open worlds that you get to explore. You have multiple planets you're going to go to, and these planets are pretty massive. There's two major planets that you'll visit Kobo and Jetta, and they are the biggest of the entire game's locations and probably the most fun to explore, especially Kobo. I would say that if you're trying to do everything in the game, Kobo is going to take a ton of your time. As far as the overall percentage of what you spend on Jedi Survivor, that is probably the planet you'll spend most time on. Because as I stated earlier, these planets, Kobo specifically, there's three layers to this planet, underground, in the sky, and ground level. And there's so much to do on the ground level, and surprisingly, a decent amount of stuff to do underground. 
And everything is fun. Everything is great. The environment is just so fun to explore. And the game is very much built around environmental puzzles. So it's very much using your surroundings, implementing those with your force abilities and powers that you have at a given point in the game. As I said, though, it's Metroidvania. So you're going to come across areas where initially you're not going to be able to access or you're going to have to have a certain ability, a certain item in order to progress. So there's going to be that that you many, many times throughout your exploration you're going to come to. But I felt like the game did a pretty good job of not limiting you for too long. I mean, I felt like there was a pretty good flow of progression and a sense of new abilities just kind of funneling through to the player. And if you came across an area that was inaccessible, pretty Soon afterwards, I felt like you were able to get in there and see what was on the other side of whatever it was that may have been blocking your path. So when it comes to exploration, I mean, I just I think that you can't get much better than what Jedi Survivor offers you. There are a ton of collectibles and side quests or as this game calls them rumors in the game. And these rumors, basically, you can talk to NPCs, whether it's in Plantoon Saloon Cantina or NPCs that live in the different areas or just kind of camping out in the wilderness. There, there's NPCs everywhere that you can talk to, shop owners. Everybody will give you, at some point or another, a rumor or a side quest to go out into that planet's expanse and try to seek out and complete this quest. Sometimes it'll be on other planets. But you'll have very plentiful uh, rumors to take care of. And same with the collectibles. One thing I loved about the collectibles in this game, though, it's not just about reaching that, hey, 50 out of 50 of this item. It's not just about checking off a box and a number in a menu. Every collectible in this game has a purpose, and I love that about them. You have Priorite, which is a very valuable and rare metal that you can find on Kobo. That's used as a currency to trade for specific items at a character named Doma, her shop that's right across from Plantoon Saloon. You can trade them for new hair and beard sets for Cal, BD paint, tracks that you can listen to and, and choose yourself when you're walking around through the cantina talking to everyone. And it's not just on Kobo. Every planet, I felt like, had its own specific collectible type, which I thought was awesome. And I really appreciated uh, for Respawn when I was playing through because you know that these prior rights outside of Kobo, where 90% of them are, you're not really going to have to seek all over the entirety of the game world's galaxy, so to speak, to find these. Jetta scrolls are only on Jetta. Things like that. So, I mean, each one you can trade for its own specific type of item. The Jetta scrolls you trade at a shopkeeper and Jetta for different, again, lightsaber pieces, paint jobs. There are bounty pucks that as you start getting to a certain point in the game, there is a bounty hunter who will give you bounties for different ones that you can go after in the galaxy. And each completed bounty, they drop a bounty puck and you can bring it back to her at Plantoon Saloon and trade it for different blaster upgrades and again, more paint jobs. So the bottom line is they all have some kind of purpose and I love that. Everything, even scanning enemies. Every time, just like in Fallen Order, when you defeat the enemy, a new enemy for the first time, BD1 has the ability to scan them. And when you scan them, it's not just about adding them to the database and seeing a description about them and some tips on fighting them. In this game, there is a 
game within a game called Hollow Tactics, which is actually a really fun game. And each enemy that you scan is added into Hollow Tactics as an option for you to use in a game of Hollow Tactics against an opponent. And there are a certain number of opponents that you can face with varying rewards as you progress throughout the game. So there's just so much to do. And the exploration is just off the charts. I mean, you could just get lost in this galaxy for hours. Now, when it comes to platforming, which is a huge, I would say the second third of the gameplay here, platforming is massive and getting around in these worlds is going to require a lot of it. I already kind of talked about the wall running and the control segment and how that was kind of frustrating. So there is wall running. And it is frustrating because a lot of times the collision detection is just not there. So when you implement the wall running, though, with all kinds of other things going on, you have a grappling hook that you can use to get up to high spaces or to chain together wall runs with things in between the wall running segments, I'll call them. There is the different climbing ability. There is using the rope to swing across chasms. There is air dash to help you again link together all these different cool platforming segments. There's a new ability that allows Cal to dash through like these green force field barriers. And when you come through on the other side, it'll actually extend and give back to you an air dash and a double jump. Like, it's just a lot of really cool things like that that they've added. We also now have the ability to control BD-1 in a sense. He has two new abilities that he can use. One that will crystallize a certain liquid and you can use that and, and create a trail to certain areas that are blocked off and the crystallized liquid will erode away the blocked path and then you can gain access at that point. There's also the electric dart which you can fire at different electrical currents by electric boxes that'll either open up new doorways or raise and lower different panels for a cow to run across and wall run across to at the right height or level that he needs them to be. So there's just a ton of things for you to do when it comes to platforming and navigating this world. And when you implement them all together, I mean, it's just a lot of fun. As long as everything is clicking and the collision detection is not hampering your enjoyment and your fun, there is just a ton to do. And it, it is really just a lot of fun. Now, Given the fact that these worlds are so massive, you really want to make sure that there's a, a fast way to get around, right? Well, Fallen Order did not have fast travel, which was a gripe that a lot of people, myself included, had where you had to literally hoof it on foot the entire map to get from point A to point B if you were just kind of hunting collectibles. So Respawn heard us players and has implemented a fast travel option in this game. Well, meditation points return as they were in the original game. Meditation points are now fast travel points in addition to many other things. Uh, just like in Fallen Order, when you go to a meditation point, you can have the option to rest, which will refill your stem packs and your health bar, but it also respawns enemies. So you kind of can have this strategy of when you want to use the, the rest option and do I want all these enemies that I just defeated to respawn and so on and so forth. It's just kind of weigh the options. So you have the rest option. You have the ability to change up the two lightsaber stances that you have equipped at a given time at the meditation points. And that's the only point that you can change the lightsaber stances you have equipped, which is another little gripe that I had is that it was kind of frustrating not being able to do that out in the field, but it is what it is. Not a deal breaker for me. 
Now, in addition to this, you could also train with some of your new abilities. And speaking of abilities, this is where you go to unlock them. Now, obviously, as you defeat enemies and complete quests, you do earn XP, but the game doesn't have a certain level-up system in the traditional sense. It's not like you go from level 1 to 2 to 3, so on and so forth. You literally just, there's a meter at the top center of the screen that as you earn XP, it fills up. When it fills up, you earn an ability point. And you can just keep building the amount of ability points that you have until you want to use them at a meditation point to purchase new abilities. These abilities are ranging on multiple skill trees from the Force, Lightsabers, and Survival. Survival is things like increasing your max health, your max force is another option. Obviously, lightsabers that will allow you to choose new combos, new abilities with the lightsabers that you're choosing to uh, have as a stance equipped, because they're all separated by stance at this point. And they are single blade, dual blade, dual wield, and blaster, as well as a new addition, in addition to blaster, cross guard, which if you know Kylo Ren's lightsaber from the sequel trilogy, it's that kind of a lightsaber. So I honestly, my favorite lightsaber stance in the game was probably for a long time cross guard. I actually ended with the dual blade lightsaber stance and I was loving it because the majority of the beginning of the game, I used dual wield, but I did not like blaster stance as I had mentioned and just a single lightsaber is kind of boring to me. I feel like, man, you got to at least have two of those guys. So either way, overall, lightsaber stances, I really wish that they were more accessible outside of the meditation points. But there's all these things that you can do just right there tied to a meditation point. But the big, th big takeaway for me is the fact that there is fast travel. So when you get back out into the game world, we've talked about exploration, we've talked about the different upgrade systems and things you can do. How about combat? That is the final third of the gameplay here. So when it comes to combat, I thought it was awesome. I mean, I don't think you can get any better as far as lightsaber combat and what it truly feels like to wield a lightsaber in combat than what we've gotten in Fallen Order. And now that has been improved upon and perfected, I feel like, in Jedi Survivor. So in this game, I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, you have the lock-on ability that, like I said, is an option for you when you click in that right analog stick. And in third-person action RPGs or action games, period, I feel like that is a must to have that lock-on option when you're in combat. A true hard lock-on where you see that little dot, okay, I'm on that guy. And then I love the fact that you're able to flick through the different enemies as you see fit, depending on who you want to focus on at a given time. So a lock-on option, that's perfect. Combo, whether it's mashing on square, and it, the game is not a button masher by any means, so you don't really probably want to mash on square, which is the melee option with your lightsaber. A lot of times the combos are more set up to be tap square, tap square, hesitate for a second or two, tap square, tap square. You know, it's, it's kind of those purposeful, slower, but meaningful combos. Now, that doesn't mean that the combo itself, like when you're dual wielding or dual blading, it doesn't mean those don't come in a flurry and are just pretty insane and awesome to watch and some of the acrobatics that Cal can pull off. It's just really cool animations. But it's when you implement and combine those lightsaber combos with your force abilities, which you hold triangle in the middle of combat, and they can range from many different things, from having a force sense to where you say with your dual wield stance, if you press and hold triangle and you let go right before an enemy hits you, 
Cal will have this really cool flurry of uh, lightsaber strikes that he does as far as almost like a parry to the enemy. And it just, it looks really cool. Probably sounds not as cool as what it looks like or is an implementation, but trust me, these force abilities are really cool when you're combining them with your regular combos. In addition to the fact, there is nothing that feels better to me than force grabbing and force pulling towards me a stormtrooper and impaling it with a lightsaber. As messed up as that may sound, I can't help it. There's just something about it. Or throwing them off the side of a cliff, force pushing them off the side of a cliff. There's all kinds of different ways you can implement the force, especially the further you get in the game where you can grab multiple enemies at once and lift them in the air and then slam them down. Ah, gamers, it's just, it's, it's awesome. The further you get into the game, the more abilities you acquire. It's just awesome. So I love the combat in this game. I just wish, like I had said earlier, it wasn't tied or tethered to, you have to have the animations complete before you can get to the next button command. Like healing, healing and combat. Like I said, it's just, ah, that is, that is a big point of contention for me and it wasn't fallen order it is in survivor don't know at this point if it's ever going to change it's probably in respawn's mind as something where well that kind of adds to the challenge of the combat of the you know finding the right moment to heal i get it but at the same time doesn't make it any less fun but regardless combat is great i i love the lightsaber combat in this game blaster Combat was really not even there, non-existent, at least in my playthrough. I just didn't feel it was necessary. I mean, you, the way you refill your ammo, for God's sake, is by getting... You have to land lightsaber strikes on the end, and that's how you refill your energy meter, which is representative of your ammo for the blaster. So, regardless, combat, platforming and exploration, and just the world itself. I mean, there is just so much here for you to enjoy over the course of, I would say, every bit of at least 40 to 50 hours. If you're trying to do everything, it'll be even more than that. But there is a ton of variety here in Jedi Survivor, and I loved all of it. Now let's talk about the details of this game's photo mode and see what my thoughts were. Gamers, I love photo mode. Any game that I play, I honestly, I hope that every game that I play has a photo mode when I jump into it. Unfortunately, it's not always the case. Even nowadays, it's kind of surprising when you get into a game and it doesn't have a photo mode. Thankfully, Jedi Survivor had one. There are specifics, though, that I look for in every photo mode that really make it stand above the rest. And my review system and my rating system for photo modes are as such. So... The top level, the cream of the crop, would be the rating of Masterpiece. You can't get any better. This is the epitome of photo modes in gaming. Next level down would be a work of art. I mean, like, hey, it's got everything but maybe one or two things that I look for. The final rating would be back to the drawing board, meaning that the developers, eh, maybe you should have just left out the photo mode. There really wasn't much to separate this or really even warrant getting excited over it. You can just kind of pause the game and turn a camera around and, and snap a picture. So we'll see what Jedi Survivor, how that fared for me. And I got to start with just how you get into photo mode. I am personally one that prefers a one-step process. I know 99.9% .9 of games are still a two-step process where you essentially pause the game and then either press a button or scroll down on a menu to go to photo mode. Unfortunately, Star Wars is that two-step process. You 
pause the game and you press triangle on PlayStation to bring up photo mode. So it's not a deal breaker. That really doesn't necessarily affect my rating because I don't feel like that's just a preference. It's not necessarily something the developer did that was wrong or uh, unnecessary in my opinion. But once you're in there, next thing I look for is how good is camera control? And I mean elevation, depth, the amount that you can control the clarity on screen. Can you take away the grain filter? Can you zoom in on certain aspects and filter out certain things in the background if you want to? What is it like when I'm trying to find that perfect angle? Are there invisible barriers that stop the camera from getting to where exactly I want to place it? Well, Jedi Survivor, I felt like was great in all these areas. There was not a single thing that I felt like it was lacking in as far as camera control. So that was great. Outside of camera control, how are the different borders and themes and things like that? Are those available? Well, yes, frames. There were plenty of them and borders in this game. And I thought they were actually a pretty cool selection. I honestly really didn't use them that much outside of my beginning hours with the game and just kind of testing out how they looked. So I didn't think they were amazing to where I wanted to use them in just about every picture or try to figure out how to combine them with a, a shot that I was taking. I, I really think of things, games like Miles Morales and Spider-Man and those kind of games, Days Gone, that really have cool frames like Miles Morales and Spider-Man. Obviously, you could frame up comic book covers and those are what I consider the best types of frames and borders when you can have something really cool and unique like that. So I feel like Jedi Survivor was kind of middle of the road. Now, when it comes to lighting and things like that, I got to add this in there because Miles Morales was one of the first games to do this. And that is controlling certain spotlights and adding lighting and different colors of lighting to certain angles and areas of the picture you're trying to take that is here in Jedi Survivor. So I thought that was pretty cool. It did help lighten up and brighten up some of the shots that I was taking at certain points. So that I definitely appreciated. Now, in addition to all these things, another thing I look for is emotes of the character. Is there an option for them to have facial expressions? What about character poses? Are you able to pose them in certain things? Well, unfortunately, that is not the case in Jedi Survivor. There is no emotes. There's no poses. So I thought that was a little disappointing. But the game does have logos. You can do the Jedi Survivor logo. You can do a logo that has BD-1's face, the Empire, all different kinds of logos. So I thought that was actually pretty cool. And then you can choose the location of the logo around the screen. You also, unfortunately, don't have, though the ability to increase or decrease the size of the logo, which is something that I also prefer to have. So after all of these aspects of photo mode are looked at, what rating did I land on? Well, for me, I feel like it's a work of art. It has a lot of, it has some of the things that most photo modes don't have, like the lighting and the extra spotlights. It also has some pretty cool borders and themes. But the things that it doesn't have or doesn't do, for me, a little bit outweigh the things that it does do that most others don't. So I got to settle for a work of art. The middle of the road rating that I give, but overall, a, you know, pretty decent, solid photo mode. Now let's go check out the ship's chronometer and find out how long it took me to beat the game, as well as how long it may take you to beat the game based on your play style. As we look at the ship's chronometer, 
I will first start with how long it took me to finish the game. And I will say that, as I had stated in my Captain's Quarters episode, I was going for a Platinum Pursuit in this game. So I wanted to get everything done, go for every collectible, every trophy. Unfortunately, the game does have an issue, a bug, that prevents players after a certain point. If you didn't finish the Bounty Hunter mission, then you're not going to be able to at this point until there's a new patch released, which at the time of this recording, there had not been a patch fixing this issue. So the final two regular trophies that I have preventing me from getting that platinum trophy are still there, still locked and waiting for that patch. But in order to get to that point, it took me just over 80 hours to complete Jedi Survivor in all its entirety and everything that I was able to do. Now, if you're looking to just explore and, and the story and focus on it, then I would say you're probably going to still spend, uh, I would say, roughly 30 hours playing this game if it's just purely story that you're trying to go through. Now, if you have story plus a little bit of extra side stuff you're looking to do, then uh, you probably end up around the 50-hour mark. But if you're like me and you're trying for that completionist aspect of things and you want to get the Platinum Trophy or all 1,000G on Xbox, then you could probably expect to spend anywhere from 70 to 80 hours to get everything. Now let's go see what my final thoughts and review score are. Gamers, as I sit back and I look at the 80 plus hours that I spent in Jedi Survivor, I absolutely loved every second of my time in that game. Sure, there were some moments where I had some frustrations with force tears. There were the collision detection issues I talked about. I don't really like the way that the healing system is implemented. You take those things and those gripes out of there, though, and man, what an awesome story. What an awesome group of characters. What a beautiful-looking game. And just in general, I mean, the best lightsaber combat that we've ever experienced, in my opinion. So you, you take the good, and in my opinion, it far outweighs the bad, but I can't disregard the bad. So... Jedi Survivor is an amazing experience, but one that I will have to give a final score of an 8.75 out of 10. That'll do it for my review of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at Lost at Sea Gaming, as well as on Twitter at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.